We're so glad that you tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jennifer Akers, the Associate Worship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're currently in our series, The Greatest Adventure. And today, we're in Exodus 20, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. We hope and pray that God teaches you something new about himself through today's message. Welcome to church. Welcome those who are worshiping with us online. It's so good to be here today. Last week, uh, we had kids camp, and it was exciting. If you were here, you heard, you heard it. Like, Columbia Avenue heard kids camp um, this week. It was, uh, we had 400 kids in the building, and all of them were screaming all the time, and it was, it was awesome. Um, but really, it was a great week uh, to be able to introduce and, and some of our kids to Jesus and be able to uh, help them take next steps of faith. It was an amazing week. We'll talk more about it as we get into the service. One thing that you may not know about our teaching team and what we do on, uh, as, as a teaching team, we're out months in advance. So before we got to the greatest adventure and looking at the life of Moses and the Israelites and this journey that they are taking, we're looking at that months ago. So we're, I'm sitting in the meeting and I'm trying to find where my name lands. Okay, I'm trying to figure out, like, what topic am I going to teach? This is really exciting. I'm pumped. I'm, like, looking at the topics of freedom. Like, the idea that God saved the Israelites from slavery, and we have freedom of sin. Nope, not where my name is. Awesome. All right, all right, what about the Lord provides? I mean, how awesome would it be to teach manna and quail and water, how God provided those things when they had no food and no water, and how God provides for us? Nope. Um, and then I started to look for my name. It's like, Chase, God's law. Awesome. Exciting. <laughs> right after kids camp. That would be so fun and so motivational. Like what, what I did do over the past few weeks as I studied through the law, um, I, I kind of noticed the speed limits a little more. <laughs> kind of <laughs> obeyed the speed limits a little more. Um, but here's the thing. When we talk about law, and a lot of times when we bring up law in church world, some of you have a bad experience with your church history. Or maybe you have a friend that's had a bad experience with church history because they grew up in a church that was all law, 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 rules, 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 and you or your friend couldn't seem to get it right. And you felt shame all the time. You felt guilt all the time. And maybe some of your friends have left the church, been burnt out by the church because somebody put law before love. Somebody put law before people. But here's what I wanna do for you today. I wanna reframe this idea of God's law. You can't have law without love. And you can't have love without law. That's my prayer for us today. Before we jump into God's word, will you pray with me? Father, may we forever be changed by your words. Your words are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, I pray that you would just use your words to penetrate our hearts so that we leave here changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we've been on this journey with the Israelites. It's been an exciting journey, but to help us out a little bit, I, I wanna show us an image of the journey that they have been on. This is a map. It's a little map, you can't see the words, but, but here's what I'm gonna do. They, right around this region, that's Egypt. 
So obviously, God rescued them, used a guy by the name of Moses, rescued them from Egypt, and they made their way across the Red Sea, which is right here. He parted the waters. They walked on dry land. Amazing. So they're at this they're journeying along, and along the way, they're complaining, where's the food? Where's the water? God provided them with all those things. And so they are, they are journeying along, and about two months in, they come to a place called Rephidim. Rephidim. And just beyond it is at the base of Mount Sinai. So Mount Sinai is right here. Remember, they are going here. They're going to the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised them. So they're at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses is leading all of these Israelites, a million Israelites, and he's getting to the base of Mount Sinai. He's looking up at the mountain and he's remembering that's not the first time he's been there. Did you know that? The first time he was there, he was up on the top of the mountain. God spoke to him through a burning bush. That's right, and God said, I want you to lead my people out of slavery. He said, no, you don't. That's not me. I'm ill-equipped. I'm not capable of doing this. I can't even speak the right way. And God said, yeah, I'm choosing you. All I want you to do is be willing and to be obedient and just be ready. So think about this. Moses is right at the edge of Mount Sinai. And he's has, he, he, he takes a moment. He's looking up at the mountain, and he's like, Oh my goodness. He's seeing a million people behind him and say, God, you are faithful. God, you provide. Thank you. So what we see next is Moses went up on the top of the mountain by himself again, and he had another encounter with God, and we get to Exodus chapter 19, and this is what God tells Moses. Are you ready? God told Moses this to tell the people. He said, you yourself have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. And right there, God is establishing a covenant with his people that you're gonna be my people and I'm gonna be your God. And then Moses went down to the Israelites and, and told them everything that God had told him. But he said this, he said, in three days, guys, you're gonna get your hearts ready, get, consecrate yourself. In three days, you are gonna have an encounter with God all by yourself. Like He's gonna talk to you. You're finally going to hear the voice of God. You're finally gonna, up to this point, they haven't heard from God. It's only been through Moses, but they're gonna get a chance to hear from God. Three days later, they found themselves at that moment. God was going to speak to the people and he was gonna lay out his terms of agreement with the covenant. And we call those terms of agreement the 10 commandments, the Mosaic law. So he lays out this Mosaic law and it really, it formalized the relationship that God wanted to have with his people. But this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. But here's what I want you to get for a second before we move on because I think this is foundational. The Israelites became God's people before the law was given. Did you know that's core to our Christian faith? That, that's all about our Christian faith because it's all about the work of God, nothing that we can do to earn salvation. We'll get into that. But through obedience to the law, God's people could live out their identity as his holy people, his, 
the priest to the world, like the, the holy nation to a pagan neighbors. Like he, they were to be his ambassadors, and through the law, they were given a unique insight into how God wanted them to interact with him and how he wanted them to interact with other people. God designed people to function in a certain way, and he called the Israelites to live differently, to live differently, how to best interact with one another and with God. And this is what he said to the people. They hear him for the first time, remember. He said this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Hey guys, I just wanna remind you of something. I wanna remind you that I am your God, that I care for you, that I brought you out of slavery and how you were beat up and you were worked to the bone. I brought you out of that and you are a free people. He wanted to give them that before he actually got into the law. It's so significant for us. And then he gets into the law. We're gonna sure read it. And a lot of you are familiar with this. You grew up maybe going to church. Maybe some of you are not. So we're just gonna read through it. You ready? Verse three, chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath and in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for, you, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children of the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son or daughter, male or female servant, animals, foreigners residing in your towns. For in the sixth day, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land, the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. He's pretty straightforward. But he really breaks it up into two sections, and maybe you didn't know this, but the first four commandments are all about vertical connection with God. It's all about how he wants us to interact with him, how to best worship God. That's what the first four commandments are all about. He starts with this. He starts with, have no other God before me. Wait, 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 wait. Before, does that mean I can have little G gods as long as they're before big G God? Like, is, that, is that appropriate? What it really means, that word translated down before me means to my face. You shall have another gods to my face. I don't know why I'm doing this, but to my face. <laughs> like there should be no other gods that I see, no other gods in my presence and he, his presence is everywhere. So no, I'm it, I'm the one true God. And then he gives the second commandment. He says, no idols. No idols, remember these people are coming from Egypt. Egypt was full of idols. 
they made um, idols, gods, little gods, out of sticks and stones and gold and silver, and they worshiped those things. They came from a polytheistic culture. I mean, they worshiped a lot of different things. And God said, starting now, I'm it. That's it, I'm it. And typically we think about people in the Bible who worship sticks and stones as, man, they're primitive people. Why would they do such a thing? But, but their worship was always a means to an end. You know what their end was? Money, sex, family stability, power, all the things that, that we believe makes up a good life. And the reality is you and I can worship the same things as well, but let's add politics. But let's add comfort, let's add fame. We can worship those things as well. The difference between their worship and our worship is their worship is overt and conscious. Our worship is covert and subconscious. Sometimes we don't even know that we're worshiping the things that we are, we are worshiping. And God's saying, don't place a higher value on the stuff than me. Don't place higher value. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes idols aren't bad things. Um, they're just good things that we've made into God things. They're good things made into God things. Number three, he says, don't misuse my name. And a lot of times when we, th we think don't use my name, the worst comes to mind, doesn't it? Uh, you, you can think of a phrase right, right now, like it's so bad. But let me reframe that for you and take it a step further. You know, not misusing his name. Don't use the name of God as if it doesn't matter. In your conversation, in your frustration, don't use the game of God as if it doesn't matter. Number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. There's actually a lot of discussion around the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What day is the Sabbath? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? What, what do we do on the Sabbath? A lot of biblical scholars go back and forth because they can't agree on what, what constitutes the Sabbath or makes up the Sabbath. But let me break it down for you. Let's make it really simple. Do things that honor God that are worshipful, restful, and helps you focus on him. Ask yourself the question, is what I'm doing life-giving on my Sabbath? Is what I'm doing life-giving? I would say if it's restful and worshipful, do that. Do that. And then God switches gears. It's like, this is about my vertical connection with you, but let me, let me give you for a second the horizontal connection with other people. How to best interact with other people. Like, let's go through some of that, and he keeps it pretty simple and pretty straightforward. He just lists them out. It makes sense. It's like, whenever you see a sign that says no fishing, what does it mean? Don't fish there. Well, what if I use a net? No, what if I noodle? You know what noodling is? Like, does that mean it's fishing? Yeah, it's no fishing. Or when you see a speed limit sign, it says 70 miles an hour. What does it mean? 70. What we go to, we're like, well, that's a suggestion. Like, it's really five to 10. Like, they, nobody's gonna pull you over. At this point, whenever, I, I was actually pulled over a couple weeks ago, if I'm honest with you. And I, and I didn't even, like, at this point in my life, I'm like, heat license, I already have it ready. I'm like, I know. Is my fault. But he makes it pretty simple, and he says this, the, 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 the fifth one. He says, honor your parents. Honor your parents, parents in the room. 
You're like, yes, wait a second, let me go grab my kid and, and we're gonna bring him back here and you can spend the rest of the time on honor your parent. But here's the reality. You're a child too. That word honor means kaved. And it's oftentimes associated with the glory of God. And you say, well, what if I disagree with my parent? What if I don't see eye to eye with my parent? Here's the thing. If you have respect and a love for your parent, then you're headed in the right direction. Number six, do not murder. 100% approval rating. (laughs) Number seven, do not commit adultery. Stay faithful to your spouse. Don't have eyes for others. Stay faithful. Don't be distracted. Number eight, do not steal. Look, only take your stuff, not everybody else's. Is that simple enough? <laughs> and number nine, do not lie. Here's why. Lying breaks trust. You have been in a relationship where there was, there was a lie that happened and you just couldn't seem to look at that person the same way? There's a reason for that because lying breaks trust. Number 10, do not covet. That's the last one. Be content with what you got. Don't be looking at somebody else and saying, man, I want it, I want it, I want it. Be content. Now, I I look at these commandments, and I think they do a couple of things for us. Not only tell us how to interact with God and how to interact with other people, but you know what it also does? It shows us the very character of God. The character of God in how God wanted the Israelites to how to live and interact it shows us the character of God. Think about this. Think about that God is holy, that God is set apart. And we look at the, the do not commit adultery, that God is faithful to his people, that God is honorable, that God values life. We see the very character of God. And the very character of God does not change. Therefore, these apply to us today. The law did something else for us. And I look at those 10 commandments and think, man, I'm really not doing good because of this. The law reminds us of our brokenness. It reminds us that we are in need. It reminds us that we need a savior. The law exposes our sin. God gave these laws to people. The next day they broke them. And then Moses gave more laws to the people to help them obey those laws. Well, They broke those, and so he added more laws, and more rebellion happened. More laws, more rebellion, until eventually there were 613 laws to obey. Now, here's why I say all that, is because this reminds us that more law doesn't equate to more obedience. In fact, more law means that we have more law breakers. This is the story of the Old Testament, This is the story of the Israelites' journey. They messed up time and time again, and in God's grace, in his mercy, in his faithfulness to his people, he created a sacrificial system. And what was the sacrificial system? There had to be something to atone for the sins of the people, so it required a priest, an animal sacrifice to shed the blood for the the people, to cover the people, and it had to happen once a year, over and over and over and over again. It was a conditional covenant that he had with a group of people for a specific time in history. Aren't you grateful that we are a New Testament people? 
That we don't have to rely on an old covenant that he established a new covenant with us that required a sacrifice for the sins of the world, not just for a group of people for all time. And it comes through faith and trust in what God did through Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. How incredible is that? We are a New Testament people. So, so what about the law? What do we do with it? Well, Jesus, if you go to the New Testament and we're living in the New Testament right now, we're transitioning. Jesus was teaching his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you, many of you remember that. But he's teaching them about the law. And he said this about the law, Matthew 5, 17. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. That word fill, fulfill, means to be made complete. And whenever you complete something, what do you do? You start something brand new. And Jesus started something brand new. He started a new covenant with the people. He, com he completed the law for us. How incredible is that? Jesus did what we could not do by ourselves forever. Forever in all times. Here's another point that I wanna give you. The law points to love because the law points to Jesus. The law exposes our sin and Jesus covers that sin. But doesn't that make the law irrelevant for us? Like why do we still adhere to the moral law? When Jesus had a conversation and he took the law one step further. You're like, how could that be? Isn't it hard enough? But get this. Jesus had a conversation with an expert of religious law. He approached him, I don't know if you remember the story or not, this religious teacher, the Pharisee, expert in law, came to Jesus and said, which one of these commandments are the greatest of them all? What does Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with your mind. And he's really pointing to the first four commandments right there. And he said, but wait, that's not it. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Then he summarizes the six commandments. And Jesus is saying, let me break this down for you. Let me make it really simple. He says, love God, love people. That seems pretty simple. That seems pretty straightforward. But here's the thing about love. Love is complicating and demanding. Love is hard. Jesus said this, when you treat somebody with disrespect, when you nurse resentment, you're in violation of God's moral law. Why? Because you're not treating that person with love. He took, some of the, he took the commands to another level about murder. He said everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Why? Because it breaks God's moral law to love. Commit adultery. He said, whoever looks lustfully at another woman has committed adultery in their hearts. It's not loving. Oh, get this. When we feel like making a point on social media in which we might be right, done out of hate, is breaking God's moral law because it's not loving. And then he takes it a step further. He said, true love ought to extend to our own enemies. person you really don't like, a person who really gets on your nerves, 
the person you just can't stand. Love ought to extend to them. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it really describes what love is. And you oftentimes hear this in a wedding. It says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Here's, Here's the deal. It's probably easier to follow 10 laws or 10 commandments or 613 commandments than it is to love. But Jesus' idea is for love has less to do with law and more to do with our hearts. What he's after is what's inside of us. What he's after is life transformation from within us, and it's gonna express outwards. It's the difference between mechanical change and organic change. Mechanical change is religion. Mechanical change is behavior. If we can get this idea of behavior modification, then we're gonna be okay. But the gospel is all about what's within us. It's about heart transformation. Even as a parent, we place boundaries over our kids. Rules and boundaries and parameters. I do it over my kids. And oftentimes I have uh, parents come to me and say, hey, my child is acting up. What can we do? And I'm saying, I gladly help create these. But that's not all that we need. We need to go a step further. That's not gonna change the way, that's not gonna change their hearts. Boundaries are good. They establish direction and protection, but it doesn't equate to heart change. See, what we need, our job as parents, is not just to create boundaries for our kids for their direction and protection, but to continue to introduce them to the gospel and allow the power of the gospel to change their hearts. My prayer is that that's what you experience in family ministry here in the life of the church. You know, I, I, right now we're a programming, um, weekly program. We do this all the time. Um, every week, um, our goal, our job is to introduce them to the love of Jesus. When we disciple our kids and do that, when we equip parents and partner with parents, what we believe, it makes stronger families whenever we do that. And that's really what, we, what we're after. This summer has been incredible. We've had camp after camp after camp. In fact, let me show you a few pictures of our camp experience. I want you to know that uh, this is actually, uh, this is student camp right now. Um, They had worship every day. They had their devotionals out on the beach. What we do at camp, we take away cell phones so they're not distracted so that they could focus in on God's word, which is really incredible. Um, So we had a lot going on. We had kids camp. Um, that happen as well, so that's part of student camp. This is kids camp. Let me tell you this, we had over a thousand kids and students in all of our camps this summer, a thousand. And, And I want you to understand this, our goal, the reason why we do what we do is to introduce them to the love of Christ and it's his love that will create heart change that will, that will make world changers for his kingdom. That's what we're after. When we look at the law, law is like railroad tracks that show you the direction that you are to go in, but they are powerless to move the freight along the tracks. The gospel 
is the engine. The gospel is the power that moves, that changes the heart so we learn to obey God and, and keep his commandments, not out of duty, but out of love for him. That's what we're after. You know, later on in the life of Jesus, we come to close to the end of his life and he has a meal with his disciples. And that meal, he's sharing a meal. You guys know what happened in that meal. He broke bread with them. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body that was gonna be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's kind of pointing to the cross at this point. And he took the wine. He said, this is my blood that's gonna be shed for you. Do, do this, take this in remembrance of me. But you know what else he did in the, at, at that meal? He washed the disciples' feet. He, in this act of humility, in this act of love, he took a towel, wrapped it around himself, took a basin and sat down and he washed every disciple's feet. And then at the end of that meal, as he's getting ready to journey to the cross, he says this verse. He said this, a new command I give you, a new command. He's putting legs around this love God, love people. He's putting this legs. He's saying I have the how-to here. A new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. I'm thinking about the people around that table. There was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was on the street and Jesus came up to him and said, I want you to follow me. And his disciples said, no, 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 no. You can't pick Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. There's no way. Hey, we don't want him to be a part of our group. No, Jesus, Jesus said, no, I want him. He showed Matthew grace. Matthew, as I've loved you, I want you to love others. I want you to do the same thing. Peter, Peter who was roughneck, hot-headed, rebellious, quick-tempered, judgmental, Jesus said, I choose you, come follow me. No, 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 Peter, in fact, I'm gonna build my church on you. Peter, as I've loved you, love others. Andrew, as I've loved you. John, as I've loved you. Chase, as I've loved you. When he says this, I can't help but think that Jesus is like, you ain't seen nothing yet. In two days, he would give his life for the sins of the world. And he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm gonna give you this last point and we'll be done. God's law ultimately points to God's love and God's love changes how we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And God, we thank you for your law because through your law, it points to love because it points to Jesus. So God, as we fall more in love with you, I pray that the keeping your laws becomes instinctive for us. And God, that as we live out our love for you, people will know 
that we are your disciples by the love that we're giving to. So God, thank you for this moment. God, I pray for the people in the, in the room or online. I pray that God, you would work on us, sanctify us. God, make us look more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.